So Nate, I'd consider myself a pretty competitive guy. Um, I definitely have ruined a few family card games, uh, board games, because I just couldn't handle losing. I definitely got into a few backyard brawls with my older brother over losing uh, and to him in one-on-one. -on -one. And sadly, as a coach, I think, Nate, I've definitely ruined or at least missed out on some positive experiences with my wife and kids because I chose to just be miserable over losing a game. I'd like to say that one of the many lessons that sports can teach us is how to lose or how to lose well. And I think it definitely like taught me as a player how to get back up on the horse and keep working hard. I definitely learned that lesson. However, I don't think my experience as an athlete like helped me to develop a help, healthy relationship with losing. Like if I lost, I thought I was supposed to be miserable and I, and I was, I was miserable and I made sure everybody knew it and oftentimes made other people miserable. And I definitely carried that kind of mindset into coaching when like when I got into coaching. I, I think honestly though, like learning to lose is more than just getting back up on the horse the next day. It's about keeping things in perspective and not allowing it to affect your mood, your attitude, and potentially like even your mental and emotional health. Now, I think if we wanna teach our team to lose the right way, we as coaches, many of us, we have to learn to lose the right way first. And that's what we're gonna get into today, creating a healthier relationship with losing, which I know many of us have experienced and will continue to experience at many points in our career. And there's an argument to be made that our unhealthy relationship with losing is potentially one of the biggest inhibitors for us being the transformational coach that we want to be. And that's what we're here about on this podcast. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. My name is JP Nurbin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. On this podcast, we are all about transformational leadership and building exceptional team cultures. We try to give you in 30 minutes or less some practical tools and strategies to do that. The podcast is sponsored by TOC Culture Consulting. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to TOCculture.com. All right, Nate, when I talk to coaches, especially the coaches I support in the mentorship program, I don't expect them to be happy the day after the loss. Like losing is painful. I know it, I've experienced it, but I think I get concerned. I get concerned when the pain of losing is greater than the joy of winning. Or coaches say things like, I hate to lose more than I like to win. I think when we have that type of mindset, and, and I've been guilty of it as well, but I think when we have that type of mindset, it's gonna negatively impact our joy as a coach. Um, it's going to impact our behaviors as a coach and the way that we lead. And we're going to be unable to help our team to navigate the challenges that come with losing. And losing's part of the game. So to me, uh, what Bill Walsh, the, the legendary 49ers football coach, calls zero points for winning, that zero points for winning mentality is a huge concern coaches need to address if they see it in themselves. JP, for me, when it comes to the subject of winning and losing, just from a purely philosophical perspective, for doing this for 20 years and winning a lot of games and losing a lot of games, I think the thing that's so frustrating about losing for me is not the outcome. It's not the disappointment. It's not even necessarily 
um, you, you know, missing out on the joy of winning. It, it really comes down to the fact that whether or not we win or lose a basketball game has very little relevance in the grand scheme of the universe. In other words, when we look at what we're doing in the game, we are taking a ball and we're making it go through a circle that's 10 feet above the ground. That's all we're doing. If you think about football, football is even sillier. Guys are carrying a ball over a line on the ground. And if they can do that, then they're great. And we worship them like deities and we pay them millions of dollars. And if they can't do that, then they're losers. You know, like we're defining ourselves based on a completely silly behavior in terms of what the game's actually doing. And if you take that further, we often as coaches see ourselves purely through the outcome, you know, purely through which light bulbs are up on the scoreboard. Are there more on my side than the other side? Then I must be a great coach and I feel good about myself. If there's less, you know, we're losing the game, then, you know, all this self-doubt can creep in and uh, we can start to, to question you know, we, whether or not we even belong in the profession and, and it can have a detrimental effect on, you know, our relationships with our team, with our spouses, with our kids at home, simply because the other team is better at making a ball go through a circle. And when you look at it from that perspective, it seems rather silly that we put so much importance on the outcome of a child's game. Yeah, it's so easy to lose that perspective, though, as a coach. And it was kind of interesting. There's a coach I'm working with in the mentorship program who had his first varsity coaching game just last week. And he was really broken up after the loss. And his wife was actually talking to his dad, who's a high school coach as well, uh, 30 years in the business plus, right? And she asked um, this coach's father, hey, do you, did you win your first game or did you lose your first game? And he says, Honestly, I don't know. You know, that was a really cool story of just how we take some moment and we just blow up to be this really, really big thing. Yet at the end of the day, it's not going to be the thing that really, really matters. Well, I know, JP, we're going to talk about some of the warning signs to recognize just where our relationship is at with losing. And I think that story for me brings one of them to mind, which is, does your family want to be around you as much after a loss as they do after a win? I remember Richard Patino talking when he got the job at the University of Minnesota a few years back about having a young family. He said, come home after a loss, a two-year-old doesn't care, four-year-old doesn't care, they just want to be with dad. And I think that's a valuable perspective for us to keep in mind. Well, you know, Nate, in just episode 218 with Tyler Costin, we talked about this concept of our identity as a coach, you know, where do we find it? And I think at the end of the day, we're always, if we spend a lot of time coaching, we, we're passionate about it. We give a lot to the sport. We're always going to identify with our sport in some way and identify as a coach. That's always going to be a, a piece of our identity. But when we lose, if we are miserable or we have a loss of a sense of self-worth, then we have an unhealthy relationship with our sport and with, a, with coaching. You know, it's okay to be upset, to be bothered to a certain degree, but to be that low as many of us have, as many of us have often gotten is just really honestly revealing um, a bigger problem, which is that thing that, you know, Tyler Costin talked about of, you know, where are we finding our identity? Is it all within coaching or have we found other places more important places within our own life? And I think related to that, JP, is just our sense of confidence in what we're doing. You know, our belief in our systems or our processes or the decisions that we've made, 
how we go about those decisions, if they're only validated by winning and losing, that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous game to play, right? You and I know that you, you can make great decisions as a coach and not have a lot of talent on your team or play a great schedule. And you might have coached your best year, but the outcomes may not validate that. And in the same way, if you have great talent, it doesn't matter what you know or don't know. You know, it's hard to screw up a team that's really, really good sometimes where you may not be a good coach, but your players are great players. And so just relying on the outcome to validate our process, I think, is also um, just a sign that that we're giving too much credence to the outcome of winning and losing. And here's one more warning sign, JP, that I think a lot of us fall into, myself included, is that if you get to a place where what you feel after a win is relief more than enjoyment, then you probably are, are in a place where you don't have a very healthy relationship with winning and losing. And that isn't to say that we should be on cloud nine when we win and, you know, be in the depths of hell when we lose. But if all we're trying to do is avoid misery, like that's what's motivating us to win. That is not a healthy place for us to be either. And I'll add one more to that. And this is really personal for me because I think this is where I struggled. When I won, I often thought I was a good coach. And when I lost, I thought I was a bad coach. And that's really ignorant for many of the reasons you just mentioned. You know, it's sometimes down to circumstances and our players and just who shows up on the day. And we're not always responsible for, for that. But also, you know, it's really ignorant of the other team. And I think, you know, there's the other team wants to win oftentimes just as much as we want to win. And they've trained hard, they've practiced, they prepared. And I think. I was pretty good at always, I was always going to shake hands of my opponents, but I instantly I'd go in there and I would always just spend all my time thinking about all the things that I did bad as a coach and my team did bad. And then we'd lose. I was, that was the thing I was talking to the press about all the time. I was always like, well, we did this horrible. I never took time to acknowledge how well the other team played or how well their team was coached. It was always about, well, I totally screwed that game up. And that's, you know, honestly, a pretty ignorant approach as a coach to take. And some others might be able to relate to that as well. Well, that's one thing, JP, you hear Bill Belichick say all the time, you know, in press conferences, especially after losses, the other team has good players too. The other team has good coaches too. You know, they're working just as hard as we are and, and they deserve credit because they, they play better than we did today. You know, and, and I think Belichick does a really nice job of kind of combining both of those that we, we've got to get better. Players and coaches have to do better, but Kudos to them. You know, they deserve credit for making plays today. And I think sometimes because exactly what you described there, we get so lost in our own failure and the lens that we see ourselves through that, that we fail to acknowledge, you know, that somebody else played well, right. And give them credit for that. And I think for so many of us as coaches, sportsmanship, sportsmanship just becomes this box to tick. Okay. We shake the hands. We say, congratulations, coach. And we move on. But I think uh, we can take sportsmanship to a whole other level. You know, I've seen um, many coaches in our community that have taken the time to send an email or a note to the opposing coach, just acknowledging the things they did well, you know, congratulating them on their win, or you know, if, even if they lost, just just letting them know, hey, we appreciate you traveling, you know, to our side, and and it was great to be out there. Uh, competing against you. And that honestly is comes back to the very root of the word competition, you know, from the Latin 
you know, compitere, which is to strive together for excellence. And that's the joy of sports is about going out there and giving your best and, and getting after it and having somebody that can challenge you and stretch you. And I think that's where we need to take sportsmanship to not just an acknowledgement of the things that somebody else has done well, but almost in a level of admiration. Uh, there's, I was just talking with Shane Soudan, you know, a TOC mentor, and he's also a college coach in Canada. And, you know, they had an, a weekend, um, you know, back-to-back games against a very tough opponent. And in Canada, for the college level, they take these long eight, eight or nine-hour bus journeys, and they have to spend a whole weekend. And here they were completely outmatched. And, um, you know, so you're playing on Friday night, you're going to turn around and play the same team on a Saturday. And at first, you know, he, he was feeling a little bit down about it, but he felt better just in between those games when he started to take time to go and actually speak to opposing players on the other team and just, you know, let them know like, Hey, you were doing really well. And, you know, kind of started joking around with one guy who had been in the program for five years. I think he was a fifth year senior. He's like, Oh, gosh, I hope we don't have to play you again next year. And just there was became this camaraderie, which I think is what really honestly sports is about, you know, and it, it didn't make losing not painful, I don't think, for that team that weekend, uh, but it helped them to reframe and, and to regain perspective. And the sad thing, I think, is the actions that Shane took and his players, because his players were mixing and mingling with their opponent that weekend and, and connecting and watching some other games. Uh, I think the sad thing is that if those moments were caught on social media or like people would criticize that. I think that there's a message out there for players and coaches that you've got to hate your opponent and you've got to, you know, to, to talk to them and to laugh with them and to connect with them and appreciate them. You're not a competitor. I mean, Monty Williams was criticized last year when he took the time after losing the finals to go in and congratulate the Milwaukee Bucks on their win. And that is just an incredibly high moment of character for a coach to do that. But yet people like to say that that's not competing. He's not a competitor. In fact, I think that is a true competitor. And so that's my encouragement for us as coaches. And when we might become envious or jealous of, or frustrated um, with our opponents is just to step back and say, hey, what do I admire about them? What do they do well that, that's worthy of, of my respect? I think your example there with Monty Williams it speaks to my frustration with sport a little bit. I mean, we just had an example this past weekend when the Detroit Lions won their first football game of the year. They're one ten and one now. They beat the Minnesota Vikings uh, on a last second, you know, pass play on fourth and goal and scored to win the game. And the Lions came running off the sideline and throwing their helmets, and they were just overjoyed, right, with this this long struggle to get to the winner's circle. And the camera went to Kirk Cousins, the starting quarterback for the Vikings, and he just had a smirk on his face. Like he's watching this expression of joy, and it brings a smile to his face for guys that he just competed with. And then he goes over to talk to Goff and some of the Lions players and just congratulate them. And he got ripped to shreds on Twitter for not being a competitor. And this is why Vikings are losers is because they're they're happy when the other team wins. And, and it's just ridiculous, right? I, I mean, that <laughs> that kind of response is what's so frustrating about the overvalued uh, concept of winning and losing. And I think what you discussed before, JP, you know, about admiring your opponent or acknowledging the things that they do well, I've, I've really tried to do a better job of that uh, over the years. And a couple of ways that I've done that, I remember um, we lost a, a regional game, knocked us out of the playoffs last game of the season for us a couple of years ago at Linmar. And we played a really good team that went on to win the state championship that year. 
and when we went through the the handshake line at the end that they had a senior point guard and i as i grabbed her hand i said hey i want to talk to you after after all this and never talked to her before we prepped for obviously for a couple of years but we go through and go in the locker room and come back out you know and we're at their place so they're milling around with parents and stuff and and she comes over to me behind the bleacher or back by the doors by the bleachers and she says what's going on coach and i said listen z I just wanted to tell you that you are my least favorite player in our league to prepare for, but my favorite player to watch when we're preparing. And like, you could just see like this big smile got on her face. I said, you know, you give us more problems than anybody else, you know, trying to get ready for you. But I just love how you play. And I love watching you play, you know, and that was a moment just between me and her. Nobody else was there. It wasn't in public or whatever, but that made a huge, I think, impact on her. And just, as you said, just acknowledging she's a really good player. She works really hard. She does a lot for her team. And I just wanted her to know that other people see that. Now, I think one of the other things though, Nate, that can help us to maybe cope with losing or, or have a healthier relationship with losing is just to be intentional in our process for reflection, whether we win or lose to have a clear process on how we uh, leave a game and we are going to process that, that game and learn from that experience. And two big things that I think that I've learned over the years, and I give Alan Keen a lot of credit, you know, he, ta- he uses those terms, hot review and cold reviews. And I think this is really powerful for us just to sit down, write out our thoughts as a coach immediately in the moment, right? What am I thinking? Why did we lose this game? You know, what did we do well? What didn't we do well? Really, it's also really coming back to maybe the things that we were focusing on for that game. You know, what were we trying to do well, you know, and, and, and be a little bit more intentional in that reflection, I think uh, can be huge. But then the next day, you know, to give it 12, 24 hours and pull out the film, watch the game and do what he calls a cold review, you know, and to go back and say, all right, were the things that I was thinking last night, were they accurate? Or were they not accurate when I look at the film? And I think that's really, really powerful is to start to work at that reflection process so that we do these hot reviews, we do these cold reviews. And oftentimes, I think when we go to the film, we'll say, hey, you know, yeah, it's not as bad as we thought it was. We actually did do some good things. And then we go off and we can say, all right, what can we adjust? What can we improve at? What do we need to do in the next few practices or for the next game to improve our offense, our defense, the way we're preparing, our systems during the game as far as substitutions or whatever it is that we do. But you're just trying to learn from that experience. But once you've gone through that hot review and cold review, you move on, you flush it. And JP, I think that can look different for different coaches. So we're fortunate to have kind of a, a virtual assistant, so to speak, that um, is not in our practices, is not on our bench, but is a longtime coaching friend that's been at the division one level and the high school level and is out of coaching now that watches all of our film. And one of the things that she will ask me frequently after games is just, what were you thinking there? You know, and I think even that being able to go back and say, okay, here's what I was thinking and the decision that I made now that I have the complete picture, being able to look at the whole game and slow it down in in a cold review, like you said, was I thinking the right thing? Did I make the right decision? You know, and just being able to do that, you know, in a, in a bit more of a sterile environment without, without jacked up emotions or frustration or whatever it might be, 
has been a really good exercise for us as a staff, the conversations that we have as coaches, um, just picking some of those moments and trying to identify, all right, what was my thought process there? And then evaluate, was that, was I thinking about the right things there or, or not? Well, Nate, there's, there's a reality that we haven't really mentioned yet this episode that I know some coaches are thinking about. And that is, if I don't win enough games, I might lose my job. I could get fired. And I think that is a reality for many that many have to face. And so I guess, how do you approach that? Well, JP, I think the perspective that I lacked when I took the job at Linmar was that being fired is part of the landscape of coaching. It doesn't mean it's going to happen to everybody necessarily, but it wasn't something I ever imagined could happen to me. My first two jobs, we were pretty successful and I probably could have had lifetime contracts and stay there for the rest of my career if I wanted to. And so when I took that job, it never occurred to me, as long as we're doing the same things and doing them gradually better, that I might lose my job. And yet we didn't win enough and people were unhappy and therefore you can't justify your decisions because you're not winning. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm out on the street. And so what would I tell coaches that are facing that kind of pressure you know, from their administration or the expectation that, look, your job's on the line here, buddy, if you don't figure it out? I guess I would just say this, like, what if you do lose your job? What story do you want to tell at the end of the year? You know, do you want to be a coach that says, well, I did whatever it took to win. I played players that shouldn't play. I played kids that were disrespectful. I played kids that mispractice because we are trying to win above all else. Or do you want to tell a story that says, look, we believed in these values and we held kids accountable to it. And maybe that affected the product that we put on the floor, but that's who I am. That's what I believe in, you know, and that's more or less the approach that we took. And again, it's not easy to be fired, but there's a peace of mind that comes with knowing who you are and being committed to that and being committed to that over even the outcomes of winning, losing, keeping your job or, or losing your job. Nate, I really appreciate that perspective because I don't know what I say here, some coaches may not like, but I think what you're talking about is this, this reality that we have to accept. This is part of the job. This is what we signed up for. And we have to be able to overcome this fear of losing our job and all that entails because everyone's circumstances are different. You know, some people you lose the crappy $2,000 stipend <laughs> that you get for, you know, all this work that you put in. But for others, it means you know, relocation, it affects your family, and it can have some pretty significant consequences. But it's part of the sport. And at the end of the day, we can't let this fear control us. We can't let it guide our decisions. We have to live based upon our principles of coaching and what we know is right and what we believe in. And that's going to take a lot of effort for coaches that have spent years living in fear of losing or the pain has become you know, so great that it's been all consuming. But I, I really feel like this is absolutely critical for us as a coach if we want to be able to um, find joy in coaching and also build a great team culture. Here's the last thing that I would add to that, JP. My last year at Linmar, you know, we had a meeting with the athletic director where we went through all the player complaints that she had gathered up over the last month prior. And it wasn't really a, a probationary meeting. Like if we don't get this figured out, you're gone, or we're going to go separate ways at the end of the year. But in a lot of ways, it, it was like acknowledging the handwriting was on the wall. 
and yet I'm still there. And so how do you, how do you go back to practice after that? You know, how do you go to the sideline and coach those same kids with the same parents in the stands? And the thing that I kept coming back to and just made a commitment to personally was that I knew that I loved coaching and I wasn't going to let the opinion of parents or, you know, the, the complaining of players take away what I loved most of working with my staff, of building relationships with kids. I love scheming the game. Those things I still had an opportunity to enjoy, but it was, it was like a decision. I'm going to show up today and I'm going to make sure I enjoy it because I still have today. And that coupled with just gratitude that I'm still a coach today, you know, was really, really important for me. And I think was, again, helped me to ground myself and really probably change my overall perspective on winning and losing because I learned to recognize the pieces of coaching that I really enjoyed most. And I just wasn't going to let anybody take that away from me when I had a chance to enjoy it. And I think that's probably a healthy perspective for all of us. You know, when we're struggling with whether it's our self-esteem or confidence or what have you is always being mindful and coming back to what are the things we enjoy most about the opportunities we have today. So as we finish up today, I want to read an excerpt from The Score Takes Care of Yourself by Bill Walsh. And uh, if you think some of this stuff was challenging today and you still think that, you know, we're downplaying the significance of winning, I think Bill Walsh's uh, words here uh, might connect with you. You are putting yourself on a slippery slope when you start believing that the outcome of your effort represents or embodies who you really are as a person, what your value as a person is. I speak from personal experience. For me, the San Francisco 49ers increasingly became who Bill Walsh was on the inside. Any mistake or loss became me. Any setback, big or small, reflected back on me and I personalized it. If Jerry Rice dropped a pass, I dropped it. If a play didn't work, it was my fault instead of the fault of the assistant coach who called it or the opposing defensive player who made an outstanding stop. If Steve Young or Joe Montana threw an interception, it was my poor pass. This is a dangerous way to run your professional life because it seeps into and contaminates your private life. Eventually, it led me to make some horrible choices in my personal behavior that I deeply regret and am embarrassed by, even ashamed of. Ultimately, because failure had become personalized to such a degree, I was tormented by the very thought of errors of execution, mistakes, or loss. Winning, 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 perfection was the only solution, except it was no solution. Even winning a Super Bowl couldn't remove the knowledge that failure was in the future, because nobody wins all the time. We'll just leave it right there for today. Next week, we'll be back to talk about how to help your team learn to lose the right way. Also, in the closing episodes of this year, we're going to do a little Q&A. So if you'd like, you can email myself or Nate any questions that you'd like for us to discuss on the podcast. Also, in the newsletter, we have a Google form for you to submit any questions. So you can submit your questions there as well.